Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. It is summertime and the living sure is strange. Now that we're getting into the dog days of summer, odds are you've probably spent some time outside lately. Maybe you've been having some socially distant hangs with friends and family. And maybe you've been spending more time than usual looking up. Over the holiday weekend, the moon was full Jupiter and Saturn are actually visible in the night sky, even in super bright cities like Chicago. And if you stayed up late enough, I hear that you can even see Mars. Mars is featured in so much pop culture and so many movies that sometimes it can feel like humans have actually already been there. But we haven't, though we're definitely planning on it. Did you know that a trip to Mars would take seven months? That seven months in like a super confined space with a stockpile of food and just a couple other people and only stuff in arm's reach to keep you occupied. Doesn't it? actually kind of sound like pandemic-induced quarantine? I mean, okay, maybe that's a little bit of a stretch, but like maybe not, because it turns out the idea of extended isolation is actually super interesting to NASA. It's something they've been studying for years. And that brings us to today's guest. Shayna Gifford is a scientist who back in 2016 spent a full year simulating a mission to Mars. Shayna, along with five other people, lived in a biodome about the size of a two-bedroom apartment sitting on top of a volcano in Hawaii for one year. At the time, the mission was the longest space simulation in NASA's history. Shayna spoke to Nerdette co-host Emeritus Trisha Bobita right after the simulation ended. And we're going to play some of that interview for you now. Shayna talks about stuff like appreciating what you've got and self-discovery. And honestly, I just feel like you're going to listen to this and the parallels between what she went through and what you and I and everyone else have been going through under stay-at-home orders is just like kind of wild. So I'm excited for you to hear it. Without further ado, here is scientist Shayna Gifford explaining what the heck she was doing in a box on a volcano. So high seas the Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Simulation. It was an attempt to simulate one year on Mars, as if we had landed on Mars and we were setting up shop and bunking down for the long haul for the one year you would probably spend before heading back to Earth. So the way that Earth and Mars sync up in their orbits, there are very specific times. It's kind of like catching a bus. 
You can either catch an early bus and it's a short trip, or you can catch a late bus and it's a long trip. On the other hand, the late bus lets you sleep in. So there's certain advantages to traveling to and from other planets. And one of the best transfers between Earth and Mars involves staying on Mars for a year. So the question is, what becomes of the people who stay on that planet for a year? How much do they eat? How well do they sleep? How much exercise do they need? And in this study, we asked the question, how well do they get along during that year? How does the teamwork hold up? What are the factors that contribute to a cohesive or, or more dysfunctional crew? And are there warning signs that NASA can learn to look for when there might be trouble ahead so that they can intervene? And how do they intervene? So that was sort of it. It was more of a psychological experiment. So you're checking for space madness is something that we might say if we were talking about this in a science fiction setting. The idea that isolation from the outside world might have effects that we're not anticipating. So how are you keeping an eye on those things? What are you keeping track of and keeping an eye out for? It's interesting that you say space madness because we actually do this to humans every year down in the Antarctic. They do one-year overwinters every year, hundreds of people. And then people on submarines all over Earth do this. So it's less about space madness than about confinement madness, <laughs> the sense of keeping a group of people locked together and expecting them to continue to perform. The only difference between our experiment and the folks down in the Antarctic and the folks living in submarines on the Earth as we speak is that the Mars folks can't come home if something goes really wrong. <laughs> so um, space exploration is going to be a lot about people developing their own new culture. You know, we're not there to make a new Earth on Mars. Believe it or not, Mars looks nothing like Earth and probably never will. All the beautiful photos you see of a Mars with lots of greenery and lots of water on the surface, Mars has no atmosphere. The only way we could possibly keep Mars's atmosphere in place would be to build an enormous space magnetic shield to keep the sun from ripping it away. Mars makes an atmosphere. It generates it. The rocks breathe out gas. But Mars doesn't have the kind of magnetic field that you need to keep an atmosphere the way that Earth does. Our magnetic field is one of our most precious natural resources. So unless we somehow protected the planet the way that, you know, we have here on Earth and built a huge magnetic field, some kind of science fiction type thing, Mars will never be like Earth. So it's really actually about what happens when humans get the opportunity to build a whole new culture, start fresh. What does it look like? How does it work? What do they need to make it succeed? How well did the group know each other before entering this experiment? That's a great question, Trisha. There are two answers to that. Some of us knew each other quite well. Um, the chief engineer and I had been on a previous mission, the asteroid mission, Harris 6, at Johnson Space Center. And the commander, the astrobiologist, and the chief scientist, chief scientific officer, had all been on a mission at Mars Desert Research Station. So the three of them knew each other, and the two of us knew each other. The six of us had never worked together on a crew before, and then we met our space architect, Tristan, for the first time when we all went through a Knowles training course, National Outdoor Leadership Training Course, which is something the astronauts do as well. They ship you off on a hike through the Grand Tetons for a week, and at the end of that, if everyone is still alive, okay. Yeah, maybe we're good to go. It's it's a time for people to realize, you know, this isn't always going to be easy. It's always going to be work. And sometimes that's going to be a lot of fun. And we're just going to have to embrace the challenges along with everything else. So, Shana, how did you end up on this mission? Why was this something that you wanted to do? It's a commitment. As you said, you know, you're 
away from family for a year and all the creature comforts. Why do this? Why spend a year living among just five other people? <laughs> well, there's a lot of good reasons to do that. Uh, the commander actually wrote a great blog post, Why Everyone Should Live in a Dome for a Year. It just teaches you to appreciate everything you have on this planet. Lights that turn on when you want them to. Water that can run when you want it to. The ability to call your friends and family and hear their voices in real time. All of those things that you just think of as something you can do at the drop of a hat become impossible on Mars and therefore become very precious. So it's good for you as a person. It gives you a sense of perspective and gratitude. That isn't why I did it, per se. Um, I did it because we need to advance a lot if we're going to make it as an interplanetary species. There's a lot we need to learn, and mostly we need to learn what we need to learn. We need to learn what the questions are. So I did it as, uh, as part of my duty, both to the human race and to science and to this country, which is part of an, an ongoing space effort. And I did it also because I always wanted to do it. I've wanted to go to space ever since I was a kid, and this is living the dream. So it's kind of a beautiful thing when you actually get to achieve the thing you always wanted, and you still have more than half a lifetime to go. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, you mentioned since you were a kid. Do you remember the first thing that opened your eyes to space exploration? Well, one of my earliest memories is of sneaking out of my window at night in Los Angeles to see the grand total of three stars that one can see at night in Los Angeles in the sky and thinking that that was awesome. I do remember when Sally Ride launched. I am old enough that that was one of my earlier memories. It never actually occurred to me that women didn't go to space. Um, I just always presumed they did. And later on, it occurred to me, no, that was the beginning of it all right then when I was a kid. I do. One of my earliest memories is also of my father showing me the pictures from Viking 1 and 2, the landers, and him going, look, this is Mars. And I said, really? It looks like Utah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Mars is not appetizing to look at. Mars is a barren wasteland to the best of our knowledge, and yet it is beautiful and enticing and intriguing and mysterious and challenging. And I do like the idea of humans being able to go. And that's why we have to do missions like this, so that we can one day go. If not me, then somebody else. Do you think pop culture can play a role in that, in actually getting humans to Mars? I'm thinking about the success of a film like The Martian. What role do those types of space movies or TV shows play in the journey you think we need to do scientifically? So what you're really asking me is, what is the relationship between mass media and human psychology? And there is an answer. <laughs> Mass media in many ways sets the bar for what humans perceive of as possible. Right? Yeah. So the first time that a man and a woman shared a bed on television, um, the first time there was a televised presidential debate, televising the walk on the moon, these things allow us to understand what's possible in life. So if you can visually see it, it actually allows you to wrap your brain around it as a possibility. And now to be more specific about your question, what Andy Weir did was show people how difficult it's going to be and why it's worth doing anyway. Certainly there are plenty of movies showing humans going to Mars, but they all seem like science fiction. This one seemed more like documentary. And I give all due credit to Andy and to Jim Green from NASA who helped make that movie and, of course, to everybody who went into producing it and acting in it, is it made it personal. Personalizing the experience is an enormous part of making that accessible and desirable to people. And I think that's the role that media plays in human psychology. They make it possible and at 
at, at a very minimum, and they make it personal at a very maximum at the best that they can do. Um, it was pretty funny. Um, Fox Searchlight beamed us up the movie, just like they did to the International Space Station. So we watched it on simulated Mars, kind of like a movie night. We all got popcorn. And at points when I think it was probably inappropriate, we would laugh. Like, <laughs> newbie error, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm also just so impressed that you had popcorn in your simulated Mars. I oh, was expecting yes. the food to be a little more MRE style, a little more freeze-dried. We did not have MREs on high seas. We had too long a mission. We had um, tins of shelf-stable food by the gallon or by the kilogram. And we actually had to cook it. We had to make it palatable. It was just bags of freeze-dried broccoli and freeze-dried chicken and pre-cooked chunked turkey, which, if you work a little voodoo, can actually be formed into something that looks very much like a turkey. We discovered ways to make chicken nuggets out of uh, freeze-dried chicken and flour and spices. Um, it involves a lot of magic. Um, <laughs> Do you remember what the first trip to the grocery store was like after the year in the dome? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just wondering if that suddenly having so many more options would feel overwhelming to walk into a Whole Foods or a, a big grocery store after a year of very defined and structured choices to suddenly I, have... I, Everything. I know what you're asking. Yeah, I know what you're asking, Tricia. Yeah, the yeah. answer is, it always feel. I always feel like an alien walking into a grocery store. <laughs> but yeah, no, I really don't. I know that I did, but I think it was all a blur because I hadn't. It's not just that I hadn't seen grocery stores. I hadn't seen stores, or streets, or cars, or people, sure. and money. Money cannot be exchanged for goods and services on Mars. <laughs> right. Right. There is no commerce on Mars as such. I mean, you might, you know, trade a back massage for someone else doing your dishes, but there is no formal type of commerce. So there's so much going on in the world at any one time that the first few days out of confinement are, as anyone who can has been to the Arctic or been on a long sea mission or, or been deployed at all can tell you, it's very overwhelming. You only remember a few things from it because it is such such an overload. After the break, Shayna is going to give you some of the best homework ever assigned on this program. It's about reframing difficulties and not sweating the small stuff. Stick around. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I want to ask just one more question before I let you go, and that's to give our Nerdette listeners some homework. So I'll offer the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, humans at home, if going to Mars or traveling in space appeals to you, think of yourself already as a traveler in space. You're traveling in space. You're on a very large ship the size of the Earth. And just like in space, resources are limited. You have only so much food, water, so much air. So begin to look around your world and think of yourself as having only so much of anything. Behave accordingly. 
buy only the food you're going to eat. And if you're not going to eat it or use it, compost it. Turn lights off. Wash dishes in the sink and then use that water to do the floor. Plant something that generates oxygen. And really choose when you buy things, when you purchase things, when you fill your life with stuff. Think of it as the thing you want with you on your ship. And if you don't want it with you on your ship, do you really want it? Fill your life with the people you want with you on your ship. And if you don't want them with you on your journey to the unknown, well, maybe choose other people. And most of all, decide who it is you most want to be in life and be that person. Be your boldest, most brilliant, most generous, <laughs> most patient individual, because that's the kind of person that survives in space. Maybe not the academic genius, but the social genius, the one who looks past frustrations and finds a greater mission with the people in their lives. Those are the people who make it in space. So if you want to be a space cadet, please start now. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull and Candace Mattel. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. Our intern is Brady Guy. I put all of them in my spaceship. <laughs> I would too, actually. That's good. That's good. Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. You know who gave us five stars on iTunes and who is very kind is Wavanak. I have a feeling this person is Alaskan because in their very nice iTunes review, they said, Jacob, your sister has an awesome podcast. So thanks, Jacob, for introducing your friends to Nerdette. Good job. Thanks, Jacob. Guerrilla marketing <laughs> and by Nerdette siblings. And thanks, <laughs> You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast in all those places. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Your homework is about space this week, so you should extra, extra do it. But it's also about owning your life. Yeah. And getting enough sleep. Dr. Shana Gifford is kind of like my space Oprah. <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Macs and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.